Mama, Daddy, I wonder where Mama went. I think Mama is in the kitchen. You know what I think she's doing? I think she's getting your lunch ready. Okay, I'll go see. Okay. Can I have the headphones back? Thanks, babe. Do just recap. Are you okay? We're <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? Listen, what is happening? I just got sidetracked because my mom was texting me pictures of a playground inside the mall near our house, and I'm not totally sure why she's texting them. It's a great question, honestly. It's a really good question. Did she become a mall walker? <gasps> I'm so sorry if that offends. I'm excited for her. This is we've we, it's a whole new journey for her. Um. I used to work at the mall in a variety of jobs. Don't just limit me to Sam Goody. How about Build-A-Bear? How about the frozen yogurt place? Wait, I'm sorry. You worked at Build-A-Bear? Of course I worked at Build-A-Bear. You'd be great at Build-A-Bear at the (laughs) Build-A-Bear workshop. Build-A-Bear at the Build-A-Bear workshop. Did they have a slogan? Did they have a jingle? Um, I think they had music that, they played on repeat. But that, not that, you, you wouldn't hear that song while you were at Build a Bear. Build a Bear. <laughs> You're just I, walking and that's what you hear. That's oh, crazy. You, that might have just been a commercial. <laughs> no, I've never heard that commercial in my life. I did not make that up. Remember, you, you'd pay. I'm not that creative. Do you remember you'd pay for like a stupid little plastic heart, heart to just put in it? Yeah. And you never see it again? If you were me, you saw it again. Why'd you see it again? Autopsy. <laughs> Time of death. <laughs> just re- Sorry. Quinn didn't just build the bear. She did postmortems. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get I in really there. I really that. That girl was like, Sorry for your loss. Um, we're going to have to investigate and see if, it was, <laughs> if, there was a, if it was a wrongful death. So, build a bear. When I worked there... Part of the training was that you learned how to do the heart ceremony, which involved going to the stuffing machine. Ceremony? I don't think they called it that. You went to the machine though, and they would tell you you had to think of at least five things for the kid to magically do with the heart before they put it in their bear. Five things. Suggestions were kissing it, spinning around three times with it, raising it and lowering it, and it was like this pagan ritual with this plastic heart before you put it in the bear, and you would like whisper "I love you" to the heart and like put it. But it was all suggestions. They were basically like, we suggest a minimum of three to five actions to incorporate into the ceremony. Rub it on your hoo-ha. You know, I mean, things like that. I did not tell children to rub it on their hoo-ha, Gary. And frankly, I'm disappointed I mean, if you're giving birth... Though, like, why are we... Why wouldn't why, we simulate a birth? Why would we simulate a birth? I mean, you're giving life to a bear, and, like, let's not... It's not sexual. It's giving life, Quinn. Get your mind out of the gutter. That job was only for a winter. It was, like, a winter break <gasps> home from you college. Were a holiday worker. I was a holiday worker, and I have to tell you, 
it was so demoralizing everything about the job including the day I walked in and I'm not kidding one minute late to work one minute and my boss said to me you're late first words to me when I walked in and I I thought that he was kidding so I laughed and he was like oh I'm not kidding and I was like noted I clocked in and I'm not kidding you when I say that a week later he had a heart attack (gasps) he did not die but he did have a heart attack. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? God. I have to Could say. Could you imagine I, taking that job that seriously? Yes, that's the thing. I feel like all that's the like people a I ever up. worked for in the mall had really intense feelings about their managerial position at Sam Goody or Build-A-Bear you or know, the frozen yogurt place. Everybody was like, this is a high stakes situation. High stakes situation. Never, you know. One of the things I love about working for the company at which I work, sign an NDA, can't talk about it, uh, because nobody takes it so seriously. Like, Mm -hmm. the worst thing you can do is think you're curing cancer when, in fact, you are not. Well, it's certainly not good for your blood pressure to think that It's not good for... But also, I think it's the top-down thing. Like... That manager is answering to the general manager who's answering to this, like, the regional manager. Can't you just have, like, a martini and realize that that's what you do for a living? And even if that's depressing to be like, my job doesn't matter, I think it's more depressing to pretend it does when it's something like rub that hard on your hoo-ha and stick it in this bear. It's (laughs) like... I worked for, um, I'll out them, I worked for Ralph Lauren for the U.S. Open for three or four years in a row. I believe it's pronounced Rolf Lauren. Lauren. No, his name is Ralph Lipschitz, and he changed his name to Ralph Lauren. Oh, yeah, you told me this. What do I didn't keep Lipschitz? <laughs> I, I was young and virile. Um, I, is that the right word? Yeah. So, so we would have to wear, I was young, I was full I, of youth no, like and that. promise. Let's keep Vera. Let's keep Vera. I'll have to look it up, make sure it's correct, and see if I'm sounding like an idiot. But part of the intro of all four years or three years I was there, and it continues because it's sponsored, because Ralph Lauren sponsors the U.S. Open, the video that they showed in the training was, like, well-produced Ralph Lauren propaganda, like, really aggressive, where they'd be like, Ralph Lauren started from just a desk in the Empire State Building, designing ties, where at the time, ties were really thin. He made them two inches larger, and so started an empire. It sounds like (laughs) Ralph Lauren Scientology fusion. It's, it was so fucking wild. Holy shit, like, what are they hawking here? Oh, I, I get mad thinking about it because it's like, my God, all these people took it so seriously because all of them were like regional managers from other parts. And it was like a real honor to go to the U.S. Open and, you know, manage a bunch of fucking temp actors in New York City at the U.S. Open. Okay, dear readers, I am out on the prowl and it is not going well. You know, I'm not, I don't have push notifications on my hinge, so I don't know when people respond. And so it's really kind of like when I'm bored by myself, then I'll go on hinge and see who's replied or whatever. So recently I was talking to this guy. What's we'll him Brian F. Oh, Just wow. to say his full name. <laughs> don't say his full name. Why not? Why okay. not? He's a monster. Right, I mean, we it. can bleep it. Like, we can also bleep it. But I stand by saying his full fucking name. So it's a pretty common name. I also my friend looked him up and it's really funny. He's 
Anyway, um, so we're chatting, and I sent this to Quinn. We're chatting, um, and it's, like, pretty normal conversations. Like, truly, it's, like, meeting someone in real life is amazing. I'm like, yep, but here we are. You know, and the conversation truly was, like, hold on, sorry, I need to find it. The conversation was, like, pretty tame. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Sort of like, hi, how are, I? How are you? I'm fine, how are you? I just got from L.A. Okay. And by the way, these these conversations started August 29th is when I responded for the first time. It is September 6th. It is a week after the conversation starts. And I say, he's like, oh, you're back in New York? I said, yeah, but I much prefer New York to L.A. And he's just writes, dude, I can't talk to you on here forever. I'm bored. Exchanging the same back and forth messages, I'm going to shoot you in the face and everyone else. LOL. (sighs) But he ended it with LOL, so I guess it was fun. I guess it was real fun. Like, he finished it with an LOL, so, like, shooting me in the face. So cash. LOL. I write because I don't stop the conversation. So Carrie's like, let's meet now. I was like, this is great, perfect. You seem fun. You seem that LOL leads me to believe you're a mischief maker who fun likes guy. a fun time. Fun, fun guy. And I can't wait to meet and sleep with you. So I write, whoa, dude, that's so aggressive. And he writes, it's like a motherfucking job. This app. I can only talk to women who want to meet. And then I write, then fucking ask. And he says, I mean, four weeks and counting. By the way, I started a week after, like, this, it was a week for me. Like, what the fuck? Risk. Another four weeks of talking to you, and I'll have taken you emotionally hostage. And then you meet me. What if I have a bad personality or a little penis or ace on my ass? What if my voice sucks? I said, I can tell your personality just fine from here. I said, it's a hard pass. <laughs> he goes, and my online persona, much different than real life, but okay. I said, dude, you freaked out about not meeting and you didn't even ask. That's insane. Bye. (laughs) And then he said, LOL, you're 32? I mean, I expect the stand firm attitude from a 24-year-old who got time to waste, but you, come on. (sighs) Let's unpack that. Let's talk about it. So you got age-shamed for being 32 Uh and not wanting to go at a quick pace. Mm-hmm. And you got shamed for not Sadie Hawkins asking him on a date. Not Sadie Hawkins, yeah. And yeah. you got uh, told you were going to be shot in the face. Yeah. But that yeah. that was funny. But LOL. But LOL. His online persona is different than he is in real life. So you were going to meet him and he was going to be like this He's Prince Charming. And he was not going to be a guy that tells you he shoot, he wants to shoot yeah. you in the face. Well, he was not going to be a guy that gaslights you. LOL. LOL. I mean. <laughs> Why did I go? I missed it. The one that got away. The one that got away. He will forever, Brian. You are the one that got away. Okay. I, when I got that, I was like shaking. Carrie I, sent that to me this week and said, I'm done. <laughs> I was like, and I'm done. I, this, it was, one, I had never gotten shamed for my age before, like, that point blank. you're 32. I'm 32. From a 24-year-old, I can expect it, who's got time to waste. But you, come on. It was the come on. So come on. I unmatched Look him. at yourself. Look at yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. I, also, my friend looked him up, and he has horrible vlogs, and he's humorless. He's truly a vile person. But I unmatched him, and I thought, should I report him? And I was like, I don't know if I should report him. 
because I guess like I don't feel threatened by him physically. I mean, he did LOL after he said he was going to shoot me in the face. It reminds me of my friend who's been online dating and she had a guy be like, hey, let's meet. And they had been talking a while and she was into it. And he was like, do you want to meet me in Fort Greene Park or something? We'll go for a walk. And it was at like at night, like, like dark, time. dark night. And she was like, no, um, daylight hours, please. She said something. No, you know what she said? She said something like, no, if I met a man I didn't know in a park at night, my mom would never forgive me. Let's go to totally. a restaurant or a bar and let's grab a drink. And he wrote back something like, I'm not interested in you anymore. I want somebody that likes to do interesting things like this and the fact that you want to do something boring like that, but also the fact that you would even you say can't even that, trust me. A, you can't trust me. You're making an accusation. She right away was like, okay, bye. And then he was like, wait, I'm so sorry. Let's go out. And she was like, dude, I'm a woman. And I just explained to you why it wouldn't be a good idea for me to meet you in a park. You took it personally and got angry and got defensive and got weird right away a thousand red flags just went up for me and we're done but she said to me she was like you know what sucks Quinn is like we were getting along I would have gone out with this guy yeah and it's kind of scary because he flipped on a dime and the whole vibe of the conversation shifted and he was angry at her yes angry for not meeting him at night in a park uh that's a fucking killer, dude. That's someone also who, like, is not, won't take your emotion in, into consideration. That's someone who's not evolved enough to realize that the world is I think not that's revolved someone that around won't take him. your life into consideration. Totally. I think that, so anyway, so I didn't know if I should report this guy and then I shared it with enough friends because that's what I do when I process things. I just tell everyone about it and people Over-share. are like, overshare. Overshare. Has this podcast? Do you know that about me? And. So I finally took a screenshot of the I'll shoot you in the face moment. I sent it to Hinge and I was like, hey, listen, this guy said this to me. I didn't report it. And then upon thinking about it further, I realized I wouldn't want my friends to go out with this guy. Because he's not going to necessarily say that to them, but he's a guy that thinks that That thinks that. And... Didn't even, like, what bothers me is he didn't even ask to go out with me. And we have That's been talking for a week. You, but. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, it is weird. But I'm like, I'm, I'm glad he didn't. It's very funny. That's what you are hanging on to. Because well, I'm like, this is not fair. That's so not fair. Like, you, like, it makes me mad because it's someone getting mad at you for nothing, literally nothing. So they had, they wrote me back and they're like, thanks for bringing this to our attention. We take it really seriously. We've ensured that he can no longer use our platform. Rad. He's kicked off of Hinge, and rightfully so. It affected me. Totally. Words matter. Words affect me. So please leave nice reviews. But I... <laughs> Go to Apple <laughs> Go to Apple Podcasts. Remember to get a review. Are you in the right headspace to make music with me? Here's the thing. is like, when we come from darkness, we got to have gratitude. Let's show our Patreon subscribers there's some gratitude. Gratitude. How about Sarah? What do you say to Sarah? Sarah, oh Sarah, thank you for joining Patreon. Sarah, oh Sarah, you are star in our Patreon bar. Ooh. What about 
Elizabeth, who goes by Liz. <gasps> I did it all for the Liz. Come on, the Liz. Come on. So you can take the Patreon and stick it up your list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. D-E-A. And, and, and then an E. Is it Deanne? Is it Diane? How do you say Deanne. that name? I think Deanne. You think Deanne. I'm scared it's Diane. What if we sing this song, Deanne, Diane? or is it Diane? What is your name? Either way, we're grateful for your patronage. <laughs> patronage. <laughs> hey, Deanne, Diane. If you, Deanne, Deanne, Dion? Maybe it's Dion. Oh, Dion. Oh, she's so fresh. She's so fresh. What about Casey? I want to embrace you. Thank you for being <laughs> a Casey. Patreon. You. <laughs> hey, Casey. Thanks. Um, one more. Yeah. Ready for it? Yeah. Last one. Paige. Page, we don't want to turn the page. What, what? We not well, gonna turn, turn the, the page. page. We want to stare at your face on the page we're looking at. The page. But it's not a book. It's an online, so we don't turn pages here. We just click on the next browser, <laughs> but we're not gonna do that. We want to stick with our best friend, Page. It's getting worse, not better. You're not you great at that? it. I'm not. I wasn't gonna say anything. I thought maybe we were equal. Here's the difference. We have. I use existing songs. Oh, you I don't. Up your own, and I think it's because so what I'm doing like, is harder. Up the song. What you're doing is objectively more difficult. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm gonna take it as a compliment and move on. By the way, I take it back. I think you're great at it. Oh, thank because you. Because the thing is, is it's it's an original piece, and I think yes. that way I'm plagiarizing. I'm copying. I'm I'm taking Wikipedia and just doing it. You know, I'm copy and pasting. You, my friend, are using both sides of your brain to create an interesting melody and fantastic harmonies. We're not sure which and part lyrics. of my brain I'm using. It and... might be none of it, frankly, <laughs> but you're using a I think thing. I, you know what, Carrie? I'm using my heart that you rubbed on, on their hoo-ha. It's stuck in my body. <laughs> I was going to say a joke. I was going to say a joke. Then you know it's funny. Then you know it's good because we both thought of it. That's called Mind Mel. Dear readers, you know we only talk about things that interest you, right? We like scary things. We like, we scary like spooky things. Spooky we things. like fun. But we think you'd absolutely go bananas, cuckoo pants, wonder bra. For City of for Ghosts. For City of Ghosts. It's going to be It's lit. a mystery podcast. Okay, it has all the things you like. It has, do you like mystery? Yes. Okay, do you like corrupt politicians? Love them. Do you like supernatural neo-noir mysteries? I'm, I'm loving feeling it. it. I'm loving it. I don't know what you're telling me about, but I already love it. Love it. Do you like ghosts? I love ghosts. Do you love ghosts? I'm actually in love with a ghost. Have you had sex with a ghost? <laughs> Subscribe now. The link is in the bio. Um, and go look at City of Ghosts. It's an incredible podcast. We think you're going to L-O-V-E love it. You're going to love this podcast. Love if you love us, you're going to love this. It's not us. It's better. <laughs> Frankly, it's better. <laughs> it's the low bar we set, you and want, they wait, jump right gonna... over it easily. <laughs> they don't break a sweat. <laughs> Do you want better sound quality? They got it. Do you, Do you want, want better storytelling? They, they have that, it. too. Do you want them not meandering and sing tangents? Guess what? 
It happens. It happens in their podcast. They're organized. So in fact, I'm going to suggest you, I think this is rolling mid episode. I'm going to suggest you stop listening to us right now and you subscribe (laughs) to City of Ghosts. But then come back because we have another story that you're going to love. Yeah. Anyway, please, here's a little sneak preview of what it is. So enjoy. Go subscribe. They're amazing. And we're sponsored by them. We're so grateful. Go City of City of Ghosts. Do you hear me? It's 1999, New York City. Where am I? Who are you? Oh, shut up! Bridget Lundy Payne stars in a new supernatural neo-noir audio drama. The voices, they're back. City of Ghosts. I understand this is beyond your usual scope. So two deaths and an attempted third. Must mean we're on to something big. Men like them have fortresses built around them. What good does sticking your neck out do, especially in this city? Still, just be careful. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Do be well, Eleanor. Hey, it's really hot in here. We're already 30 minutes in. Okay, this is the story of Samuel Brockman II. This information is from Tampa Bay Times, Wall Street Journal, Daily Mail, and a New York Times article that was excellent and written by Alex Traub. Oh, Alex Traub. I follow that person. I don't know. That name sounds very familiar. Good writer, Alex. Way to go. I bet your parents are proud of you. I bet Alex doesn't listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Good guess. Um, you don't become a New York Times writer listening go, oh, well, to drivel. Really darkly, creepily. Let's hear that story about that hinge date that went, that hinge conversation that went real, real wry. <laughs> so, this is the incident we're going to talk about. Okay, Samuel Bronfman. Oh fuck, Samuel. <laughs> Bronfman. It's a hard name to say. You got so mad at your... I can't say it. Fuck. I'm staring at how you spell this, and it is hard to say. Can you spell it for me? Men. B-R-O-N-F-M-A-N. Bronfman. Bronfman. You're right. It's fucking hard. Because your mouth doesn't want to go F to M under any circumstances. Bronfman. That's really hard. extremely difficult. Ellis Island fucked that one up. I'm going to give you guys a chance. You know that was a typo on Ellis Island. You know that. You're in the car. Pull over. Because this should not be tried while you're driving. And try. You should not be operating every machinery. Pull over. Try it. Bronfman. The second. You know who he is? He's like heir to the Seagram. The second? Fortune. Wait, the Seagram, which... Are had all famous the Nexium connections. Nexium yeah, friends. the Seagram family. I had no idea. It's a storied family. Let's say, um, Sam. It's June nineteen seventy-five. He's twenty-one years old. He's graduated from Williams College. Um, he like did a bunch of stuff there that rich kids do. He, I don't know, like edited the school paper or something. He played varsity tennis. Um, varsity tennis feels more on brand, but editing the school paper is like, things rich kids do. You know what? <laughs> Put work in. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm just picturing him um, fancy. Right. Tennis. He's going to start a job in sales at Sports Illustrated. Well, okay. That's fancy. He and his girlfriend are going to get married. So like... Fancy. Fancy. <laughs> Me, I'm like, someone gets married, they're fancier than I, they're more grown up. I think I just know he's rich, so everything I'm picturing is just fancy. has that f- rich filter on he it. He has the option to between fish, chicken, steak, and veggie. There's four food options at that wedding. 
Correct. Past orders up the wazoo. <laughs> At the time he's 21 years old, the Seagram company that he is heir to is the world's largest distiller. Sam is heir to $3.5 billion. So wait, we're just talking money, 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 money. Whoa. Money. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. So later that summer, he's in a fancy mansion owned by his dad, Edgar, who's like head of the Seagram blah, blah. They're all having a fancy dinner there, and you'll be so excited for me to say that I know what they ate. Of course. Did you look at the menu? Yeah. It's a chilled vegetable soup. It's roast beef and, like, a citrus mousse for dessert. Okay? I don't love that meal. Well, I would never eat roast beef if I'm rich. A short rib, maybe. Not, yeah, not interested. What are you doing? Chilled soup? It sounds like a bad lunch buffet. It sounds like a lunchable. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like a damn lunchable. So after dinner, it's late at night, and he's like, bye, everybody, and gets into his BMW and drives away. At, like, 2 in the morning, that house, the mansion that Edgar, the dad, lives in, gets a call. The butler answered the phone, and the guy on the other end is Sam. And he's like, hey, tell my dad I got kidnapped. <laughs> well, that's an update. Okay. The butler, I think, relays the message maybe by bringing the phone in on a silver tray mm-hmm. or the ransom note in on a silver tray. Oh, Whatever happened, I'm sure there was a silver tray involved. And they send this ransom note to Edgar and they say in it, we're going to track you down, Edgar, and we're going to fucking kill you. We have bullets that are made out of cyanide. So double death, basically. Whoa. Yeah. Bullets made out of cyanide? What the fuck? Yeah. So That's aggressive. It's it's too aggressive. Edgar is like, what the fuck do I do? He starts running around to different phone booths they're telling him to go to at the airport. And he's trying to piece together what they want from him. It's like Dumb and Dumber. It kind of is Dumb and Dumber because I think the kidnappers weren't very organized. And they were at the airport trying to do the drop off. And so they're like, give us $2.3 million and we want small bills. And you're like, really? You want small bills? Okay, that's going to be a lot of suitcases. (laughs) The kidnappers call him one night and they're like, Drive to this underpass by the Queensboro Bridge and we'll meet you there. They show up at like three in the morning. Edgar gives them the ransom. Of course, there's FBI everywhere. He's right. told them and they're in hiding. They're hiding all the fuck everywhere. They're in helicopters. They're on the ground. They're pretending to be taxi drivers. And this guy jumps in the car with Edgar to get the money. And he's like, circle the block. And Edgar gives him 49 bundles of money that are in two big trash bags. The trash bags, okay, small bills, you fucking idiot. The trash bags weigh 75 pounds each. I don't even know how you and he lift has 49 that. of them? 49 bundles total in these two bags. But it's so many small bills that it's like extremely so it's heavy. 50 pounds. Like you're going to walk shit. out of the car and the bag's like, just going to rip. No, they <laughs> use money's Glad. And that's a sponsor for Glad. I would love to do a commercial for Glad. At that moment. It's like, 
So here's the crazy thing. Then the guy that is in the car jumps into his car, which is a 1971 Oldsmobile, and drives off with the money. Did you say Oldsmobile? Oldsmobile. (laughs) Oldsmobile? Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile gets into the Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile. and away he goes. There it is. The weird thing is the FBI, like, lets him get away. You know what? The, the story last week that you did about the FBI. Yeah, I mean, like, we're gonna lose faith here. We're it's really not, losing steam. On it makes it. me nervous. It's a big fuck up. But here's the thing that they're lucky about: while the Oldsmobile was stopped, <laughs> they wrote down its plate. And well, that's good. The kidnapper, you can't, the one, no, the kidnapper just used his own car, so they can trace it. <laughs> What I told stupid, you said, Dumb and Dumber. People. You were it not is Dumb and Dumber wrong. So yeah. they trace it, and they're like, "Oh, it's this guy's apartment on Flatbush. It's this guy that's a fireman. It's this, this right guy, over here, Patrick Lynch. Yeah, he lives right over here. He's Amazing. thirty-seven. He's our neighbor. Amazing. So they're like, "Oh, he's this Irish fireman that um, everybody at the fire department seems to like." And they're like, "You know the what? Guy. Knew every answer whenever Jeopardy was on. Smart guy." So is he Dumb and Dumber? Hard to say at this point. Book smart, not street smart. Right. Difference. So the this is crazy that this happens. The FBI is like, let's go do a stakeout because that's what they do. And they go to Flatbush and they park. They set up their little deal around the corner. Kel Dink. guess whose house they park in front of? Edgar's? They park in front of... Dominic Burns' house. Why would I guess that ever? Wait. Dominic Burns was partners with Lynch doing this. So he looks out his window and is like, fuck, the FBI's out here. I don't think he knows they're FBI, but he gets really anxious because he's like, why are there two people parked outside my house? I just helped commit a kidnapping. So he sends his daughter to the police and she's like, my dad says there's hitmen in a car outside our house and we need you to come get rid of them. They might kill us. Dominic Burns is um, a limousine driver. He's 53. And he's, picture like Lynch is this fireman that's quiet and kind of calculating. Um, yeah, opposite day with this guy. Opposite day. They're both Dominic. Irish, but Dominic is like short and loud. And he walks, the Joe Pesci character. Let me tell you what he does. He walks around his neighborhood saying, top of the morning to ya. Love Dominic Burns. He does that. So when he goes and like sends his daughter to the police, they're right away like something's off. They go into Dominic's house and they're like, what's going on? And he freaks out and confesses right away. He's like, oh, I helped do this kidnapping. Irish Irish Catholic guilt is a real thing, folks. I live with it every day and I haven't done any kidnapping. So they're like, oh, you did it with who? And the guy that we're already staking out, Lynch. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I did it with him. You know what, though? He might get violent if you just run in there. So let me give him a call and give him a heads. So they weirdly let him call Lynch and he's like, huh, this is very confusing. He says to Lynch on the phone, it's all over, Mel. They're coming over. And Lynch is just, oh, like I said, around the corner, essentially. So they get there fast as fuck. And he's literally caught in the act. Like, they walk in. And Sam Bronfman is there, taught, like, blindfolded. And they're like, hey, you're 100% under arrest. So they get arrested. And they're like, look, what happened was years ago, 
we thought about kidnapping Sam. We didn't want to hurt anybody. We just wanted money. And so we cased out his mansion a few times. Okay. And we, like, planned it over a course of years and kind of just waited. And then one night we were there, and Sam gets out of his BMW, and we're like, this is a good time to do this. It's like when he was they leaving his dad's house. They They just, like... Did it? I made it. It sounded like they saw him getting in his car from that dinner or out of his car after that dinner. And they were like, I guess now let's just do it. They handcuff him. Oh, my God. At gunpoint. They took him home. They put him in a bathroom and they start, you know, quote, organizing themselves, (laughs) um, asking for this ransom. But. Lynch gets freaked out. He's like, I think the FBI might be on to us. So he's telling Sam, he's like, I think they're going to find us. Sam's like, that would be ideal. And he's like, well, what I think we should do is go on a road trip, you and me. Sam's probably like, that sounds like bad. Don't ever go to a second location, right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, ooh. And then he gets really scared because Lynch is like, I will kill myself and you before I go to jail. So... If I think the FBI is on to me, that's where my head is. And Sam's completely freaked out. Um, He was also there for nine days in that bathroom. This makes no sense. This kidnapping obviously was not well thought out. Not well planned. On anyone's part. On any level. So, like I said, Dominique calls him. When Dominique hangs up, let's flash to what happened in that living room. Lynch turns to Sam and he goes they're on their way and Sam goes who and he goes the FBI and Sam goes what are you gonna do and Lynch goes we're gonna give up so then they I love how he's like you know what I'll kill us before anything happens then he's like "Um, you know what this feels messy I'll probably will get less jail time less conscience you know what I mean like honestly better choices all around though frankly definitely so they they, the FBI is like breaks down the door and sees Sam and he's like actually you could have knocked I would have let you in (laughs) he's like actually like you didn't need to break the lock I would have just like (laughs) happily opened the door for you well I picture them it said they I think it used the, the word burst don't you picture that they, like, kicked the door in? Yeah, but I like the idea. It's like, I, I'm up. I'm out. <laughs> he's like... Uncle. They knock right into him because he's trying to open it as they kick he's it. He's like, oh, my God, hey, I oh, was expecting sorry. you. Hey, guys. So awkward. Um, Sam looks like how you would look if you had been kidnapped for nine days. Like, he hasn't showered. He's, like, grown facial hair. He looks... Right, because he's clean-shaven because he's fancy. Bad. Typically. Right, right, right. He looks bad, though. The men are like, yep. We did it. Um, here's the garbage bags filled with so much heavy money. Um, <laughs> That's a feat. So the bail hearing is a month later, and the two men are like, we're getting separate counsel, which is, I think, pretty standard. Burn, his defense lawyer, he's like, I know what I'm going to say. Basically, I'm going to paint Lynch as the mastermind, mastermind of the bad guy because that's actually pretty accurate it sounds like yeah. um but and they used in the prosecution in the defense are like he knows all the answers to jeopardy real smart guy he's totally I smart know guy none of them well he is a smart guy and here's what he and his lawyer do they're like actually tio this was all sam's idea this is the story of a rich kid that planned his own kidnapping Wait and lynch is like i know i confessed i reject my confession that's not at all what happened. Actually, me and Sam were 
Partners. Lovers. <gasps> well, partners, lovers, tomato, paternal. Tomato, paternal. We met at a bar. We started having sex. And my the reason Burn is involved in all this is he's my neighbor. And I would have him drive me to Sam's house. And Man. Sam and I would bone in the pool house. And the reason, if you ever saw us lurking around that property or being sneaky, we were being sneaky, but we were being sneaky because I was having But what year was affair. this? What year? 70s. Way before... Like, this is very taboo. Totally. This That's what I'm saying. Affair. It's like, like, what an interesting defense to be like, are you falling on the sword She's like, intended? I was having sex with Sam, and here's the thing you need to know. Sam was like, I want money. Let's try to get money for my family. I'll stage my own kidnapping. And I said to Sam, no, 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 I would never. And Sam was like, if you don't, I'm going to tell all the guys at the fire department that you're gay and that we've been having sex. And I, it being the seventies, me being a fireman, that was something I could not abide. So I agreed to go along with him. It also feels like that defense would be interesting too, to be like owning up to that without sure. Like, yeah, people are like, why would you say you're gay if you're not gay? Is like the first thing. And also like you're going to like, there's, yeah, that's, well, here's why you would say it. Cause you don't want to spend the rest of your life in jail. Right. Would be a great reason. Um, but also like going to jail. I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to keep in mind though. I just told you that Sam's heir to the fucking Seagram fortune that he's like playing tennis and eating mousse a la citron. Like he's not like, hard up for cash it totally. seems like a really big move to it's a real be like, stretch to be like you know i what? want more money it's like okay then take it out of the bank the prosecutor jeffrey orlando is like you were gay lovers really uh what kind of stuff did you guys talk about <laughs> what kind of stuff did you do <laughs> what kind of gay stuff did you do no he's like what'd you guys talk about like what was the relationship and lynch will be like general matters well, like it just and feels, that's intimate. And that's intimacy. <laughs> very, folks. Sounds very intimate. Um, yeah, like the story Lynch is kind of spinning. If we're giving notes, please he do. should use more colors in this painting. It's coming off a little flat to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no romance spoken of. He's like, we had sex. Um, here's the thing though about Jeffrey Orlando, the prosecutor. He's not pushing very hard. He's like, well, it's really taboo to talk about being gay so if he's saying he's gay and that um sam is gay i have no reason not to believe that tmi tmi let's not talk about it (laughs) (laughs) and that's what you want from a prosecutor no 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 no, stop stop. i don't want to hear it i don't want to so what where lynch totally sucks as a writer he kind of is making up for that with his acting and i guess he's putting on a really good performance like people believe him and every time they try to trip him up or get him to contradict himself it doesn't really work so like orlando the prosecutor will be like did anybody else join you at the table that night and he'll be like no i told you we met at a bar we were sitting at a bar so like his story every time they try to like mess with it so burns defense lawyer that i told you was gonna pin everything on lynch Mm -hmm. his name is de blasio love no relation to the mayor that I'm aware of. 
or maybe it is. I the bet there's a relation. I really didn't it's dig in deep. the seventh. <laughs> could, could be De Blasio himself. So anyway, <laughs> it's our current mayor of New York. His plan had been, like I said, I'm going to blame it on Lynch. But when he starts to watch Lynch on the stand and kind of watch the jury watch him, he's like, this guy's pretty good. And technically his story gets my guy off too, in a way. And his guy's fucking weird. Burns is looking around the court inappropriately, like smiling at everyone. Like <laughs> top a of the fucking morning. Idiot. That guy, he's a top, top of, of the, the morning, morning to you. Um, oh, so they start, they then use Lynch's defense. So he doubles down. De Blasio goes up there and he's a smooth talker. And he says, this guy had issues with his dad. Everyone by the end of this, de Blasio talking about it was even more on the side. Of Lynch. So he's tag teaming what Lynch is saying, and everyone's like, whoa. Sam Bronfman goes up there and has total PTSD, probably. So he's kind of, like, crying and acting weird and nervous. And he's, for whatever reason, like, people aren't believing him. So... Also, I will say, even just our conversation at the beginning about how rich he was and how fancy, I'm sure that had an effect. I bet people thought he was, yeah. Maybe. The judge is like, hey, Mr. Orlando, prosecutor, um, can I talk to you for a minute? Can you do a better job, please? Yeah, he says that. He goes, so there's like lots of accusations being leveled against uh, your Sam. And you're not even objecting. You know, you can. Right. Like, basically, he's like, you're doing a shit job. And he's like, right. Sorry. Um. The jurors are like, okay, we believe you. There was no kidnapping. So they get convicted of extortion, but not of kidnapping. Like, they were, they definitely asked for the money, but, like, they're like, there was no kidnapping oh my God. as far as we're concerned. And Sam says, it's a pretty sad system when a guy gets kidnapped. The kidnappers are caught red-handed, and they get off. The best thing you can do is laugh about it and put it behind you and go on. And that's what he does. Does he end up getting married to that woman that he was engaged to? And he has kids. Um, and he's his life is really affected. He says of this is he happening. Still alive? Mm-hmm. He's like 69, 70 now. He wow. has never told his kids about this. Wow. Ever. I think it feels um, I mean, think about well, probably that. probably be really scary No, but for his kid kids are, to... like, our age. He's never said to them, I was kidnapped for nine days, and it shaped my life? Because I think it sort of did. He says of it, I went into this kidnapping a little boy, and I came out a man. He cannot escape what was said about him at that yeah. trial. Um, his meeting, uh, his family calls a meeting right away, and I picture it having like succession vibes, totally. where they're like, "What does the public think of you now? What do we think of you now?" Oh because God. even if we know that you were kidnapped and don't believe it, this changes everything for our family. I don't think his personal life could have been very chill after that either. He's twenty-one years old when that happens. Jesus. It's crazy to me. So a decade later, after the trial, it's 1994, and Edgar makes Sam's younger brother, Edgar Jr., head of Seagram's. 
<gasps> and it's not at all what was expected. It was expected to be the oldest son. It was expected to be Sam. That's what was tradition. But because of all of this shit happening. It's shocking. It's weird. And Sam has a degree. Edgar doesn't. Sam had more years at the company than Edgar. There's about a million reasons. I'm not trying to speculate, but it's, this move seems way totally. off. Not only that, but Edgar Jr. then doesn't do a good job. Yeah. Like, makes bad investments, sells the company, like, financially does not do the company any favors. So you're like, whoa, that was a choice. And then I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about um, Sam, and it said something about, like, his chauffeur-driven, star-struck younger brother and how Sam maintains a really low profile and just runs the wine division of the company and how he doesn't have a parking spot at Seagram. And so he has to circle in his car looking for parking when he goes to work. And when they're like, whoa, you don't have a parking spot? He says, no, that would be obnoxious. Okay. So. Wow. Peter de Blasio, remember? Mm -hmm. The Burns attorney. Says that this is the greatest trial victory of his career. In July of 2020. Oh my God. He publishes a memoir. It's a memoir. Memoir. He published. Okay. In July 2020, he publishes a memoir. Isn't a memoir? Okay. Memoir? Memoir. Memoir? You said memoir. I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know. It's what he publishes a memoir, titles it Let Justice Be Done. Now, that was something he said all the time. Let justice be done. He would say it at the end of his closing arguments. He said it It at Sam Bromfman's trial. Right. Let justice be done. He says in the book, I can look back after a 50-year, 600-trial career and say that among the thousands of witnesses I observed, nobody approached the magnificence of Mel Patrick Lynch. He turned a horror story into a tragedy of operatic dimension. The jurors were mesmerized. If they could have, they would have exploded in applause and cried for an encore. When he writes this book, nobody cares about the book. It's not a New York Times bestseller. It's not an Oprah's book club, which is a bummer because this book is going to set the record straight because he says in it, I want to come clean and say that this winning argument was based on a lie. I have felt shit about this for the rest of my life. I've confessed to my kids about it and I don't want to hold on to this any longer. If there's any doubt about it, Lynch was lying. Wow. He wrote in the book, I want it to be clear to all who may ever read these pages that Samuel Bronfman was not a part of the kidnapping. Neither he nor Lynch were gay as far as anyone ever knew, and certainly they were not lovers. Then he talks about how crazy it is that anyone believed it because he says the blindfold Sam had on was a putrid mess and was... And that it was basically like falling apart and that Sam had um, facial hair growing into the adhesive tape that was on him. Like it was so obvious that he had been bound for that number of days 
And he said nobody faking this would have blindfolded themselves and done all these things to themselves. For nine days straight. For nine days. Here's the thing. When he writes his book, Lynch is dead, Burn is dead. So maybe he felt like it was okay. But let me be very clear. It is not legal, I don't think. At least it's not ethical. It's like attorney-client privilege, right? Totally. He cannot... His client said, I didn't kidnap this person. He says, my client didn't kidnap this person. And now he's like, you guys. He definitely did. He wrote in the book, whether justice was done in this case may not be for me to say. Um, Oh, wow. Really? Also, it's one of those things, too, where it's like, He's the guy that gives criminal defense attorneys a bad name. He gives human beings a bad name. This guy is garbage. And but I, at the same time, wasn't he doing the job of, like, a lawyer? Like, that's a really hard... That's, here's the thing. I don't know if that's what a lawyer's job is. But is okay, it to okay. defend your client? Okay, but what about this? He suppressed a document he had that was Burns' written confession to the FBI. Also, Burns never told his lawyer, I didn't do it. Well, what ends up happening is his daughter, de Blasio's daughter, calls Sam or gets a hold of Sam somehow and is like, just so you know, my dad wrote this book and it's coming out. And I think he's like, all right, great. Like, I'm glad people will know, but also whatever. Too little, too, too late. Little, yeah. I mean, I was kidnapped. Nobody went to prison for that. Um, ends up being that as soon as he writes this book, he may, I don't know if he knew he was going to die, but it ends up being a sort of deathbed confession situation because he dies five months later of heart failure. De Blasio? Mm-hmm. Whoa. So he won't really have to answer for this either in the sense that that book comes out and then he dies. But you know what? I'm glad there is a record set straight. I mean, I think that, like... Yeah. But at the same time, again, it's too little, too late. Cold comfort, man. Yeah. Cold comfort. That's the story. Well, we have something to share with our dear readers. Dear readers, you guys, I'm so excited to tell you about this new fiction podcast. Forget your socks. This one's going to knock all your clothes off. How I Died is a fiction podcast, and it's about this forensic pathologist who speaks to the dead to solve murders. So it's got ghosts, it's got serial killers, everything we love, and Plus, if I had that skill, I'd be bragging about it at every party I went to. But unfortunately for John, this pathologist, he has to hide this gift from his boss and from the town sheriff. So his status is complicated. Anyway, this show has two seasons out right now and over a million downloads. I think that why it's so popular, what people love about it, is that you can try to solve the mystery as the show unravels it. Dear readers, I want you to go listen to this podcast now. You won't regret it. How I Died is the name of the podcast, and it is available wherever you do your listening. Um, my turn. All right. I recently, I was in L.A., and I was staying at a house. Did I send you the picture yet? Okay. I was staying at a house. I was staying with a friend, and across the street from my friend is one of the L.A. murder houses. (gasps) Like, across the street. I looked at it every day. Did you see any ghosts? I didn't see any ghosts, but it's a creepy fucking building. So here's some research that I did to corroborate. It's mediumcurbeddirt.com, Alta Obscura, Ghost Owned Travels, and Experience. The Experience is my experience, not a publication. 
I wrote <laughs> my experience. You listed that as a as source. A source. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Thank you. Um, it's located at 2475 Glendower Place in Los Feliz, California. Okay. By the way, please don't go there, and I'll get into that. Please don't go there. It's not worth going to. It's pretty fucking shut down. But this house belonged to... It was built, I think, in, like, 1909. It doesn't matter, but it ended up switching hands three times, twice before it landed on the um, Perelson family. Harold Perelson is born in New York. He's Jewish. He becomes a doctor. He's like, you know what? I'm going to move to beautiful, sunny California. He goes to sunny California... Um, he marries Lillian, his wife. He has a teenage daughter, Judy, and two children. Um, at the time of 1959, Debbie is 13 and Joel is 11. But in the 1950s, they bought this home in Los Feliz. It's a Spanish revival home. Um, they get it for $60,000, which in today's money is half a million dollars. So pretty pricey, pricey home, I guess, at that time, I guess. That's pricey. It's modest, but it's big fucking home. Yeah. Um, it's on the hills, like right by Griffith, Griffith Park. Ooh, fancy. It's very fancy up on a hill. Griffith Park's so pretty. So gorgeous. Didn't hike it. Um, anyway, the house has 12 rooms, including like beautiful gardens, um, glass conservatory, and you guessed it, there's a fucking ballroom. Always a ballroom. Always a ballroom, never a ball. In the Medium article that I read, they interviewed an old neighbor who was a babysitter at the house. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how, like, he Harold was really mild-mannered. Um, she even said something where, like, her parents and their parents should have swapped in a way. She's like, I think they would have gotten better if it was Lillian and my dad and my mom and Harold. I don't think they were swingers in the 1950s, but it's so weird that the babysitter was like, I feel like the parents should have been I feel like swapped. if I could have matchmade this. If I could have matchmade it, she talked about how Lillian made, like, tomato soup with sliced hot dogs, and her dad loved it, and her mom, who was in a gourmet chef, was like, that's that's not good. That's, yeah. That's, that's not that's good. That's heresy. Now, Harold... There were two big lawsuits that he was involved with prior to 1959. One was he was a... Um, a doctor of injections and so he created a syringe like a specialty syringe to help prevent contamination that he partnered with and I guess the guy wanted to like do the patent it's not important moral of the story is he ended up suing the guy he got like very little payout from that and then his teenage daughter Judy was in an accident with her younger siblings and a car came and so Harold decided to sue the driver of the other car a car came? That was the accident. That was the accident. No. <laughs> Judy and her younger siblings were in a car, and they went into the intersection. They were hit by another car. Got and it. so Harold, her father, was like, this isn't right. And he sues that driver. And instead of getting a big payout, he gets enough money to cover their medical bills. Now, he then started having some, like, coronary f- situations where he was having some heart problems, so much so that he was um, admitted into a the court or whatever that is, uh, you know, car- he, he was admitted to the hospital for a brief stay. Um, it seems like the family was having a little bit of financial problems based on some information that Judy was sending to some friends or some aunts and some letters. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, we're like hard up for money. But she went, sh- Judy, the teenage daughter, went shopping a lot um, and she was driving like a nice car. So it's a little bit unclear how they were spending their money. Um on December 6th, 1959, it's 4.30 in the morning, Lillian, 
Harold's wife, goes to sleep after eating a huge meal of just green beans, which is something I read in an article, and I gotta say, that gave me pause. I mean, I love green beans, but like a whole meal of green beans? That's... Gnarly. That makes it sound like they really were in financial trouble. They're eating maybe, or maybe like, I mean, she's also in LA. Like, you know, I mean, people are weird about stuff there. I don't know. Maybe okay. she was on a green bean situation. It's 1959. It's a green bean class. Women, you know, women had to, their body standard, I don't know. Either way, a whole meal of green beans. She went to sleep. So it couldn't have been like a great. That reminds me of the 1950s Cosmo. I think it's Cosmo or like Ladies Home Journal posted a diet. Um, Called the Green Bean Diet? No, I'll read it to you because I, I was thinking of going on it. Um, no. No. Yeah, I'm going to read it to you. Hang on. Here it is. Okay. Breakfast. One egg, hard boiled. One glass of white wine. Dry. You Preferably Chibli. Black coffee. Lunch. Two eggs hard boiled, but poached is fine. Two glasses white wine. Coffee. <laughs> Dinner. Five ounces of steak. Grilled. Rest of bottle of wine. That's so fucking insane. I, That's so fucking insane, and I love it. I would do it. I know you would. All right. So Lillian, after a huge meal of green beans, she's asleep in bed. And it's 4.30 in the morning. Harold, her husband, grabs a ball-peen hammer. And he strikes Lillian in the head. She doesn't scream. She immediately bleeds out and dies. He then goes to their ensuite bathroom that's connected to his daughter Judy's room. He goes into Judy's room, his 18-year-old daughter at the time, He goes to strike her with the ball-peen hammer. He hits her, but she wakes up and sees what's happening. She lets out a blood-curdling scream, so much so that the neighbors all hear, (gasps) including the girl who was a babysitter for her younger siblings. She's across the street. Okay. The neighbors hear. Harold says, lay down, lay still, keep quiet. She yells, don't kill me. She manages to get out of there and run out of the house covered in pearl and blood. Can you imagine waking up to your dad trying to kill you with a hammer? Where there's been no evidence that this is what this guy is doing. Like, there's been no... Like, even the babysitter was like, mild manner, nice guy. I cannot wrap my brain around what her brain must have been doing. The mental gymnastics you'd have to do to even get the wherewithal to stand and run away like no it, idea no clue how you could do so that no clue confused the so, processing time on that would be so delayed i feel it becomes flight fright or freeze right mm-hmm. and she fucking fights and fly fright she fights and she flights yeah so she runs out the two young kids debbie and joel who are 11 and 13 at the time they wake up harold tells them go to bed it's a nightmare doesn't peen them. Doesn't peen them. Phew. Judy is running around to her neighbors. Now the house is on a hill, so she's like running down a hill, knocking on neighbors' doors, trying to get help. Oh, that's so stressful. It is the 19... It's 1959, and uh-huh. I think people are a little bit more to themselves. Nobody's opening the door for her. 
She's knocking tirelessly. There's like blood all over the houses from her knocking, covered in her own blood. Finally, a neighbor, Marshall Ross, opens the door. He sees her. She's like, my dad attacked me. I don't know what's going on. He calls the police. Then Marshall Ross himself goes over to the house. He walks in the house. He sees Debbie and Joel, the kids, on the first floor. They're awake. They're together. He then goes upstairs. He sees Harold. Harold is covered in his daughter's blood. He's covered in his wife's blood. He goes, go home. Don't bother me. Harold then goes to the bathroom while Marshall Ross is there. He pulls out drugs from his medicine cabinet. He opens the Nembutal, which is a barbiturate, which is what they consider death in a bottle. It killed Judy Garland. He pours the powder in water, swallows it in front of Marshall Ross. He then takes 31 small pills, what they believe to be tranquilizers or painkills, just to make sure he swallows those. He goes in the bedroom and he lays down. And he dies. 15 minutes later, the police come. He's still breathing. No. By the time Don't the ambulance tell comes, me they save this guy. He's dead. Yeah, not enough charcoal in the world. That's a lot of pills. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of pills. Okay. All three children survive. Where the fuck do they go live? With Lillian's family, I believe. Like oh, really? Aunt. Mm-hmm. They've changed their name. They're, they're out of there. Yeah, get the fuck out of there. Lillian dies of asphyx- asphyxiation. Her eyes at the time that they found her were blood because she drowned in her own blood. Uh, Turns didn't out. Didn't do a damn thing. He just went after her, huh? He just went after her. She was I sleeping. I don't know why he thought that was going to help. It's very uh, John Emma List. Totally. Isn't it? Just totally. like I have a financial problem, so I guess I'll murder everyone. Those coronary things that he was going through, those events, turns out they were suicide attempts. <gasps> he kept trying to kill himself. He should have tried harder. Obviously, when he meant it, he did it. And I don't mean to be a dick, but... Um, he killed his wife. He the murder thing is really... Like, what is the point? So to traumatize those children like, like that. And what's amazing to me is Judy got away and the two other kids he didn't attack. It's like all he needed was just enough of that struggle mm-hmm. to stop doing it. What do you make of that? It's so, I mean, not that you can get inside somebody like that. I mean, I head, wonder though, but... the thing is, is like Lillian didn't wake up, right? So well, that's he what I'm saying. Hear, like, like path of no resistance with that and then as soon as his daughter gave any kind of fight he's like well you took the wind out of my sails yeah guess i'll stop murdering everybody guess i'll take a break and then i'll tell my kids it's a bad nightmare go to bed yeah it's a fucking bad nightmare so a year later the house is sold um in a probate auction to the enriquez family they bought the house they never moved in apparently they used it as storage that seems so like a weird like, thing to do. You know, there's many storages it. everywhere. It's so weird. So when people go and see the house, they see a Christmas tree still there. They see Christmas gifts. Because if you remember, this was December 6th. Oh, nobody went and cleaned shit up. So this is where it gets a little dicey. The story is it was around Christmas and he attacked his family and no one's cleaned anything up. It's all stayed the same. 
the difference actually is that this was a Jewish family, so they wouldn't probably have a Christmas tree. And do you think the family that bought it staged Christmas? I guess they had some friends staying there for a little while who like left suddenly and there's Christmas gifts that still have bows on it. There's SpaghettiOs, which was like from that time still at the house, but they realized SpaghettiOs came out after the death of this family. So, and there was Time magazines that are time stamped from like 1960. So this family like used it as stored. So when people went to go visit this house, this murder house, they saw like an old Christmas tree and gifts set up, mm-hmm. which knowing that the death occurred December 6th felt all that much more spooky. When really it was like all of this stuff was not actually from that family. However, the house remains unlived in since 1960, 1959. People have bought it. It stayed in the Enriquez family. They did not do anything to it. Visitors will come and say it's haunted. Apparently there are some homeless people who tried to make make a make a home there, squat there, and they heard footsteps and they heard creaks and so they left. Someone tried to come in and see and was immediately bit by a black widow spider. So they believe it's haunted in that way, which I'm just like, there's a spider there. It's so stupid. I really love that the haunting manifested in a spider. Who was like, you were in their home and they attacked you. It's like there were, uh, I got three mosquito bites. (laughs) I got three. Each represents a child. And it was a triangle, which is the Holy Trinity, which is (laughs) why God believes in me. Um, And then. But there's feelings like when people have been in the house, they think they're being followed. Like, so I'm much sure the haunting, there's a lot of really bad residual energy in that home. Totally. But it's not, none of the stuff I could find was very like, ooh, like hearing some people heard creaky footsteps. Sometimes the alarm goes off randomly because they installed an alarm later because so many people went to go and visit. Um, Judy changed her name, obviously. Joel the Younger went and moved to Israel and became Hasidic and now doesn't talk to anyone. In December 20... So, and then, I think in 2016 or something, the Enrique family died. So, like, their the parents bought it in 1959. They stored shit in there. They died. It went to their son. Their son had no descendants. So then the property kind of went to be sold to whomever. And in 2016, someone bought the house and they gutted it. And then what happened was, is if you do over 50% of work in LA or in California, you have to get a whole new permit and they would have to like regrade the hill that it's on, all that stuff. So they're like, this is a way big undertaking. So we're not going to do it. But when they came in, all of the appliances, everything was like exactly how it was in 1959 Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. no one's been in there for over 50 years, which is insane. So this weird time capsule murder museum totally which is now sad because they've truly stripped everything out to the studs which in a way is also kind of like because it, it was bad a cool juju house. yeah but like also i'm uh, yeah mixed feelings on that so like, then in 2020 it was sold for two and a half million to a real estate investor and now they're hoping somebody will buy the property and work with them to develop it um, but it's a teardown, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has the same staircase. It has everything in it. So if you look at the picture I sent you, it's me in front of the house. Yeah, that's so weird. I don't know. I'm sort of like, people do bad things all the time. I don't think it merits, like, 
So here's I'll saving show you the, things and making museumifying it. Totally, but I'm also like, there's cool Art Deco stuff probably did, that was. How'd you send it? Oh, text, text. Oh, this is a really spooky picture. Yeah, it was taken at night. It's super spooky, isn't it? Oh, cool. All right, well, I'll share this. Uh, as I say that I against it, I'm gonna share it on our socials. So that's the murder house now. So a couple things I wanted to say. Um, one of which was, did you know that California has a civil code that it's called the three year rule that it's for murder houses. It's realtors are legally obligated to tell buyers if, um, if a violent death occurred, but only if the death occurred within three years of the date. Well, Google your house, people Google your house. The crazy thing is, is in this house though, there are people that still come to it to visit. So I was staying at my friend's house. And you saw? I saw people come. Because it used to be on a tour what bus What did they route. do? Just take a picture it was, of it? It was so... Sh- okay, so here's how shitty it was. This is an area where, like, you can't... There, it's not a through line. It's kind of like a dead-end area. Like, you walk... You drive up, and it's not... So don't visit. Basically, guys, don't visit this house. It's really not worth that I can tell you straight up. It's fenced off. You can't get in. So we're sitting in the back. It's like one o'clock in the morning because it was my friend's birthday and I was leaving the next day to go come back to New York and so I didn't sleep so it was one o'clock in the morning this car comes up blaring fucking music it's two or three cars in a caravan coming up to see the house we leave the house and we're like guys quiet there's kids sleeping there were kids sleeping they get out of the car with like a two-year-old and a three-year-old at one o'clock in the morning to look at this murder house. Well, now you're just talking about crazy people. It was a full-on family who came to like look at this house. I promise that two and three-year-olds were not interested. I can totally assure you that. They came, it's so stupid because you stay for like five minutes, you hear them taking pictures and then they leave. It's so anticlimactic. Look at pictures online, you're gonna get a better view anyway. I was in front of the house. I didn't feel creepy, scary vibes. Carrie was there all week. She didn't see a ghost. I didn't it's see not a worth ghost. it. It's not worth it. And also, it was so like they used to have a tour bus go up there to like gross. for like ghost tours. It's really gross. It just seems gross. I mean, I say that as somebody that makes a true crime podcast. So my standards of gross are different than the normal person. Well, totally. It's one of those things where you're like, there's neighbors around. Like, there's people's like, and there's people that have like my friend whose house we were near. She has been there and people have, like, taken a fucking megaphone and been like, are you there? Like. Oh, stop. Ghost, ghost hunters who are, like, trying to. Just kidding. Don't. She's like, it comes once a week. And that's how she found out about this house. And then she told me about it. And I was like, oh, I have to cover it in the podcast. And I've been there. So I have to take a picture. And this is the story. Um, Well, thanks for the story. You're welcome. I do want to finish one more thing. Um. There was a study by a doctor that was covered in the Medium article, I believe, where it was a person who studies familicide. Um, And he finds that men who murder their wife and at least one child, which I'm going to say fits this bill, Mm -hmm. is usually an older man, on average seven years older than the wife. And when there is a prospect uh, that their reputation is going to be tarnished in any way, they suffer or suffer like a narcissistic injury, typically familicide is just damage control, which it sounds like this was, whether it was financial trouble or suicide. Anyway, that's the story of the Glendower Place murder house. 
Do you know what we forgot to do? And this, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. That's Carrie Epima. And that's Quinlan Fosner. And somehow we keep forgetting. We keep forgetting. Who we we are have and so what we're much. Doing. We have honestly so much housekeeping, though. You know we do what? We're so busy. I have so much literal housekeeping. My house is a mess. I think I want to get someone to just clean the shit out of my house. It Nothing feels better than that. I'm going to level with you. A manicure doesn't feel better than that. A good meal out doesn't feel better than that. Walking into a clean house that you didn't clean is the best goddamn feeling in the world. Maybe. And I think I want to move into a hotel just so that it happens on a consistent basis. Do it up. You deserve it. Dear readers, you deserve it. We all deserve it. We all deserve it because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. This has been a long app. This I'm exhausted. I cannot imagine doing a single other thing today. Definitely join Patreon because here's the thing. There's only a few spots left. They're going, going, gone, folks. They're going, going, gone. And the two spots left are actually premium VIP. Did you know that you get a song with your name in it spots. on our podcast that's immortalized forever? You heard the songs. They're great. There's nothing quite like them. They're great. They're something. They're there. Guys, I miss you already. See you next week. Okay, bye. Bye.